Hello and welcome back to the Chelsea Spot Podcast. As always, you can find all our links in the description, including Spotify, iTunes, our website, our Twitter and our Instagram and loads of other lovely stuff down there. Today, we've got a really exciting episode, Um, a bit of an unconventional one. I don't think we did something like this last year, but what we're going to do, seeing as today, day of recording, is Chelsea's first day of pre-season, we're basically going to preview the whole of pre-season. We're going to talk about what we want Tuchel to try out. We're going to talk about what players we want to see tried out. We're going to talk about which players have a chance um, of getting into Tuchel's first team squad, etc., etc. Um, and to do that, I have alongside me a very special guest. I think it's his second time on the pod. Kieran Doyle, how are you doing, mate? I'm terrific. Yeah, it is. It is number two. Last time we, we talked about Kai Havertz, which was lots yeah. of fun. So. Yeah, exactly. That, that was a great one. Um, but yeah, really looking forward to, to chatting about this kind of stuff with you. Um, first of all, um, we're just going to have a talk about some of the players that are going to be involved right from the start, because obviously, um, there are loads of players who won't be joining from the start. The ones that are some still playing in the Euros, there are some, um, they've got the gold cup, Copa America, loads of different stuff, um, going on at the moment. So in terms of the players who are involved in the start, are there any that you're particularly looking forward to, to seeing? I mean, obviously, there aren't going to be matches for a while. I think that they're, they're training for a week at Cobham uh, starting today, day of recording Monday. Um, and then they're going to fly out to Ireland where they have a few weeks of preseason training. Before coming back, there's a match on the 1st of August, I believe, um, against it's either Spurs or Arsenal at Stamford Bridge. And then they've got another, I think, at the Emirates um, against one of the other two again. Um, and then they've got the Super Cup uh, in Belfast against Villarreal on the 8th of August before beginning the Premier League campaign on, on the 14th against Crystal Palace. So, you know, that's going to be quite a ramp up in sort of quality of opposition from, you know, local Irish clubs in the preseason tour. But what that does mean is that there's lots of scope for, for stuff to be tried out, both in terms of personnel and, and tactics and all of that lovely stuff. So, so what are your sort of hopes uh, from a wider perspective? I think it's going to be very interesting because Tuchel, at least on the public facing side, has been very supportive of the academy and he's, he's turned up to academy games and he's said the right things and he's had kind of the right names in and around the first team squad and in training, even if we didn't, see a debut for an academy player last year which is a little bit disappointing um but i think for me the the biggest thing is okay who's going to be absorbing a fairly big minutes load in preseason and is that i'm taking up a bunch of minutes in preseason because player x y and z aren't here or because i'm getting a luck in and i think one of the things that we've spoken about and that I think a lot of people are rightly a little bit worried about is players coming in to fill holes in preseason just to fill holes in preseason to the detriment of whatever plans they have for their actual season. Um, but yeah. So I think kind of finding the path between the two and who's who's legit and who's just filling holes will be 
fairly interesting. Right, yeah, absolutely. And then in terms of players, I've got a list here who I'm not sure if this is completely 100% accurate because it's so <laughs> basically it's impossible to find out without really kind of official communication from the club. But in terms of the players who are most likely to be available starting the preseason training today, you know, we haven't yet at time of recording seen any pictures or whatever. By the time this goes out, they, they might be released by the club. But those players in goal, there's there's Edouard Mendy and, and Kepari Zabalaha. Uh, Left-backs, Baba Rahman, Ian Martin, Marcus Alonso. Right-backs, Davide Zappacosta, Valentino Livlamento, Dujon Sterling, Henry Lawrence. Centre-backs, Mark Gerhi, Malang Saar, Xavier Umboyamba, Jake Clark Salter, Danel Simeu. Centre-midfield, Conor Gallagher, Trevor Chalaber, Lewis Bates, Timue Bakayoko. Attacking midfield, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Ross Barkley, Faustino Andrin. Wingers, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Christian Pulisic, Hakim Ziyech, Kennedy. And up top, Tammy Abraham and Armando Brozier. So, a lot of interesting names in there. The one that sticks out to me the most, really, um, just you know, to chat about first of all, is Tammy Abraham because obviously he basically didn't play any minutes at all um, since Tuchel has come in, um, and it's pretty widely expected that he's going to be leaving the club um, this summer. But there hasn't been that much transfer talk there haven't been that many rumors um particularly you know in terms of clubs interested on a permanent deal you know lots of clubs are cut a bit cash strapped this window so i'm thinking maybe he might end up leaving on a loan or even staying to to play again as a backup you know as a backup role which would definitely not be ideal but i mean do you have any sort of is there any chance that he could stick around i don't i don't really know what this preseason is meant to do for him well i think one of the interesting things for Tammy particularly is that um, he is the main nine, at least for the first period of preseason. He's really the only nine for the first period of preseason, um, with the exception of, I guess, Bro, uh, Armando Broja. But you've got kind of this is his big chance, at least, to... to now, I don't know how much Tuchel's going to stake things in Tammy bagging a hat-trick against shells or something like that. But this is a, a big chance for him with all the eyes on him, where I think in the second half of the season, there was a little bit of Tammy had an okay game, Tuchel thought worse than okay, fine. And the focus very much became, okay, how am I making Havertz, Werner, Pulisic work as pairs? And I think at that point, Games were thick and fast. It was like, all right, Tammy, you you picked up a knock now. I'm not going to worry about figuring out how to make you work. We're just going to focus on this group, which, again, for for coaches is is difficult when you have a big squad. It ends up being, depending on your methods, it ends up being a small focus group. The difference now is in preseason, most of that small focus group is not here, so there should be a lot of wherewithal for not just Tammy but also players like Callum to get a lot of look in, to get a lot of reps and first choice reps in preseason, really. So I, I really don't think it's out of out of the realm of plausibility that Tammy stays and that he plays a bigger role, if anything. Um, I think there's all the links with Holland and stuff. Who knows if that'll happen? But if you're looking at kind of the squad you have now, he has two years left on his deal. If nobody's going to pay up, is it better off for him to get a decent loan 
or is it better to play him 1,500, 2,000 minutes, hope he scores 12 goals and go from there? I'm not, mm. I'm not really sure. From a club perspective for us, obviously, hope he plays. But Yeah, no, I see where you're coming from. I think it's also worth pointing out that there is also Ike Ugbo, who I didn't mention in that list there, um, who I assume is going to be coming back for preseason, although it's almost certain that he will be leaving the club on a permanent transfer uh, this window. So you've got Ugbo, you've got Broja, who, again, will almost certainly be leaving for another loan. I would personally like to see him go out, go back out to Vitesse again for a second uh, consecutive season because I think there's there's still a lot more for him to learn over there, um, or even just you know go to the championship. But either way, I think you know uh, a season for Broja spent as a backup at Chelsea is going to do no good for anyone. Um, so there are those two players behind Tammy, and we'll see how much that limits him in terms of minutes. But as you say. Um, he is going to be first choice and particularly with the actual fixtures not starting at least, well, we don't really know yet, but at least until kind of a week and a half, two weeks time from now, um, you know, there may be some movement on the on the transfer front for, for Broja and Ugbo. Um, in terms of players who we do want to see moving early, because you mentioned there um, lots of players, they sometimes come in and they just act as a, well, basically a stopgap for the players who are still recovering from their international tournament, still on holiday, whatever. Um, you know, I'm thinking someone like perhaps Ian Martin, you know, with Ben Chilwell still away with England, um, with Emerson still away with Italy. Do we really want him to get a good go in preseason? Is there any point or would we rather him just, you know, get out on loan? Because, you know, particularly with loans for younger players, it's so important that they get out and have a good preseason at the loaning club. We've seen with Levi Colwell um, just in the last few days, he's moved to Huddersfield there. I think the job title there, Chief of Football Operations, Lee Bromby, he was quoted saying upon the deal being agreed that um, you know usually Premier League or loans for Premier League players only get done towards the end of the window. Um, but Chelsea have shown great faith in both Levi and in Huddersfield to allow him to go out, out early, and, and he thinks that that's going to make a big difference to Levi's chances of success over the over the course of the season. And I think that can be said for, well, I say Martin there, someone like Andrew too. I mean, I, I really don't see the point in him sticking around for, for pre-season this season, having already spent the whole season just gone training with the first-team squad. Yeah, I, th- I think... I think Andrin's a really a really good example because I think a lot of people were maybe hoping or thinking that he would go out on loan in January. And yes, I think there's value to him getting eyes and reps under Tuchel for sure. Um, but I think Andrin is actually quite quickly approaching a little bit of what happened with Ruben where he's in the squad, he's very good, He's maybe just on the cusp of getting more minutes, but unless there's injuries or or whatever happens, it's it's not really going to happen. And then you kind of just stagnate. And I think hopefully the club has taken some things away with how they handled Ruben's development between 18 and 21, that Andrin is someone who should go out on loan early and should be... The, the thing with, it, with Tino is that he's so good, he's so talented, but his skill set is a little bit weird for a couple different positions. 
He's not really a super orthodox 10. He's not a 9. You could play him as an 8. He can kind of do all these different things that I think if you're going to put a loan move together to him, you have to actually put quite a bit of thought in. You can't just plop him down wherever he ends up. And if he's going to stick around until the beginning of August, is that really going to be the best loan move? Or is it going to be a team who's like, oh, we could do with another attacking fielder. Sure, we'll we'll have him. And then he has to spend the whole first half of the season figuring out how he fits there and how that manager works. And then it's another six months gone. So yeah, I think he's a really good example. I think the other really good example to think about is um, the other Tino in Tino Livermento where, and I think he's going to be particularly prone to this is that both Reese and Aspi are gone for most of preseason. I, I mean, that very well could be the final. So now in terms of right-sided wingbacks or fullbacks, it's very limited. You have kind of him and, and Lawrence and, and I guess Christensen can play there. But he, again, he's just as deep. There's Rudiger. I don't know. There's lots of things you could do. But really, I expect that he might end up getting a lot of reps in preseason. The thing with Tino, with little Tino compared to big Tino, is that I think there's much more of a chance that he – stays in the squad and actually plays and that's a difficult line to to balance but i think personally i think he's such a special player that if he get even if he gets 700 minutes this year or whatever i don't think that's worthwhile for him whereas i think if you put the right loan move together for him in the right environment with the right system right coach right club right level that he's going to be able to keep his momentum off the back of the loan move to, to ideally springboard back to the club. I think that is much more valuable than any, anything he'll get out of this preseason personally. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, well, first off on the Vermento, I think it's a very good point you make about him. Well, not really needing reps in preseason because first of all, the club already know how good he is. You know, we've seen that in them in their sort of desperation to to get him to sign a new contract. I'm sure Tuchel already knows how good he is. He's watched him for the for the under twenty threes. He's watched him in first team training. He's put him on the bench for quite a few first team games. It's not really necessary um, for him to be watched even further in preseason, particularly given that if he were, you know, to go out on loan and then play loads of games on loan. Tuchel can just watch those games. You know, it doesn't really make a difference where he's playing games in terms of preseason, but it does make a difference where and how frequently he's playing games throughout the actual season. Um, and where and how much he plays in the preseason is very likely to dictate the latter. So, and then secondly, on on um, Tino Andrin, I really think that your comparison with him and, and Ruben Loftus Cheek in his time when he was kind of struggling to really make a proper break into the first team squad is a, is a is a fantastic comparison i think it it really kind of captures the situation perfectly um and i completely agree that he just he needs to get out as soon as possible i don't understand why there haven't been more rumors really it's worrying me a bit um but you know these this is the way things go um i think i can understand him wanting to I guess get some more minutes and really kind of 
well, score some goals, you know, have some end product in preseason and really show that this is what I'm about. I am this good um, because some people won't know. But I think the people whose opinions really matter, they will know. And I don't think there's any point trying to convince them anything any further. Um, thinking about the players who might have a real shot at staking a claim for being in Tuchel's squad next season. You mentioned there Ruben Loftus-Cheek and that's been it's been widely reported that Tuchel wants to have a, a closer look at him in pre-season. I am not sure whether he is yet of the quality required to, to play for Chelsea um, after coming back from his injury. But, you know, Tuchel might decide differently. There's someone like Mark Gurhi, who's just been arguably the best centre-back in the championship. I'm sure that he would be good enough to play for Chelsea next season. You know, maybe not quite yet as a starter, although he may be that good. I don't think that's likely, but he could eat up some rotation minutes perfectly easily. But is that a better option than him going back out on loan somewhere else um, and learning perhaps learning how to play in a back four better because at Swansea he was only in, in a back three. You know, there are all these things to consider. Um, there's someone like Conor Gallagher, who, again, I'm sure is good enough to play a squad role at Chelsea next season, but would he rather go on loan and get more regular minutes to extend his, um, well, extend his learning, extend his kind of repertoire, his skill set, etc., and extend his experience, really? So there are quite a few players in this in this uh, category um, do you think any of them particularly stick out in, in ones who might have a real shot at getting into the squad next season? Yeah, I, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head with there's a lot of players in this category that are undoubtedly good enough to be the fourth choice midfielder or the fifth choice centre back or third choice wing back or wh- whatever role you want to talk about. But I think a lot of them the the question is for chelsea does it make sense to put them in that role financially so players like barkley it's like does it make sense for barkley to be your 12th choice attacker or whatever he would be or your fifth choice midfielder does that make sense um what same with bakioko bakioko is one of your few saleable assets and is on quite a fairly large wage packet. Does that make sense to have him as your fourth or fifth choice midfielder? And then there's the other group of young players where, like you said, very talented, obviously good enough, but is that the right move for them now? And I think of that group, I think the one who stands out to me as most likely to stay is probably Connor. Um, I think he did a lot of really interesting things for West Brom in a team that were not very good. Um, and I think the the fun thing about Khan in comparison to past years is that when you looked at him at Swansea and at his loans before that, he was this dynamic passer doing lots of attacking midfielder stuff in terms of progression, in terms of creation, in terms of on-ball work. And I think there were maybe rightfully a few questions about the defensive side of the ball. And well, now he's just spent a whole year at West Brom suffering, as some Chelsea managers may say, but suffering for long stretches of games and, and looking okay. And looking okay to the point where Big Sam, who doesn't really trust young players, was like, yep, this guy is my guy. It's cool. He'll play. And in a, in a relegation battle, which I think is huge, 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 huge for development purposes. Um, 
So if I had to pick one, I would say probably Khan. And I think the the interesting thing with him is that as a fourth choice midfielder, okay, yes, if you compare him to Billy, Billy didn't get that many games last year. But at the same time, Connor can play further forward. I still think there's like maybe some interesting things you could do if you converted him into a wing back. Um, there's also the option of them playing three in midfield in that weird role that Mace played kind of in between an attacking midfielder and a center midfielder that I think he would also fit really neatly in. Um, so there's a lot of things you can do. On a less like positive developmental side, I wouldn't be shocked if Ruben stuck around purely from it being difficult to find the right move for him. Because again, I think he's the interesting one where on the young, on the the talent side of things and the age side of things, he's obviously good enough to be a rotational squad player at Chelsea, probably not to be a serious contributor based on where he is after his injury, but he's also on a huge wage packet. And so you have to kind of think about those things. And you also have to think about what's right for him coming back from his injury. And I'm not sure what is right, but I wouldn't be surprised if he stuck around because of the difficulty in finding the right loan for him. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I think what people would want to see for Ruben now, um, having just spent a whole season at Fulham basically playing as part of a front three, um, is him playing deeper in midfield, particularly as a number eight, where he you know, excelled so much under Maurizio Sarri. Are we going to be able to find a club that is willing to play Ruben Loftus-Cheek, having just come back from an injury, um, from a terrible injury, as a number eight for a whole season? I am not really sure if that if that club exists. Um, so yeah, I, I think that perfectly that makes perfectly sorry, <laughs> can't speak. I think that makes perfect sense um, in in terms of Ruben. There so are also, I, have a, I have a question. I, I know like Tuchel is very interested in Ruben. That's been pretty widely reported. Mm. But do you think it's in midfield or do you think it's part of the attacking band? Yeah, so I was thinking this myself and I think basically the only real thing that makes sense is for him to be as a kind of, well, is for this to signify a willingness in Tuchel not to continue with this sort of 3-4-3 shape because... Let's be honest, Ruben doesn't fit as that sort of inside 10 slash winger that, you know, someone like Mason Mount did so well in under Tuchel since he's come in. He doesn't fit there because his best attributes are his explosivity and his physicality. And, you know, this is a role that's widely, well, it doesn't really use those attributes to the best of their capabilities. Um, And I think really where Ruben would fit in under Tuchel um, if he were to go to a back four is probably as a sort of number 10 or a withdrawn withdrawn striker. I mean, I think, I don't think he'll go to a three in midfield. I think it will probably still continue to be a double pivot in a sort of 4-2-3-1 or 4-4-2 type thing um, in which, you know, a number 10 sort of role is the only where, the only place Ruben really fits. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts about Ruben potentially playing as a, in a double pivot somewhere in the future. But I don't think, I certainly don't think that that's somewhere he could go into right now. Yeah, I don't know. I think I, I think I mostly agree. I think there were some games 
towards the end where we saw, particularly in the Champions League, where Mace was very much a third midfielder, less than mm. that like left tenny thing. Um, and I think that role is is quite interesting for Ruben because it is a lot of can I drop deep on the half turn, receive, and then burst and connect, connect with the front two. And I think that's really interesting. The difficult thing is that I just don't know if Ruben can do that. A, can get through the level of work that someone like Mace did. I'm not sure there's many players in the world who can get through that level of work. But I'm also not sure defensively it's a, it's a weird role, and I'm not sure that that fits his strengths. So I'm, I will be – that's, I mean, one of the big things that I will be watching in preseason is where he gets used because I'm sure he's he's going to get games. Yeah, double pivot. I'd, three years ago, I probably would have said yes, but I think now – Again, it's hard. He's missed so much football, but I don't think that really emphasizes his best abilities. And I think it does kind of bring out the things he's not great at. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I remember one game um, in Project Restart. Admittedly, he had only just come back from his injury, but it was against Norwich. And I think he was played as a, well, it was sort of a, an eight uh, in a midfield three, but he was dropping quite deep and he was just very, very ineffective. And it really kind of th- threw me off the scent of him ever playing sort of deeper in midfield like that in the future. Um, but there are also these two two players, uh, deep midfielders, you know, midfield anchorman in Ethan Ampadu and Trevor Chalaba, who have been out on loan, who could also potentially come back you know, it's only going to be one of them and depending on who we sign and, and you know, who leaves, um, there is potentially scope for one of them being involved in the first team next season. I think Ampadu is probably more likely because I think it's, I think Chalibur will probably leave uh, for good this summer and I think that would be a good thing for pretty much all parties, particularly for Chalibur. I'd like to see him leave on a permanent deal and really kind of push on with his career. But with Ampadu, I think there's lots of scope for him being a big player for the club in the future. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I, I think the the really nice thing about both of them and is that if we're going to continue in a back three, both of them can play as yeah. a member of the double pivot and also as a member of the back three. And just from squad building purposes, if they're going to be both the fourth midfielder and the fifth centre back, there's a lot more opportunities for reps and it's also one less squad spot. You have to kind of not waste, but waste. Um, yeah. I, I think Trev has done so well in France and I think it's one of those interesting things. I know you and I have discussed this before where he has a good loan move there and now seemingly all of the other interest is from France because he's done it there. So I think, yeah, I think realistically I would be a little surprised if he stuck around. Um, and again, it's, it's one of those weird things where he is one of Chelsea's few saleable assets based on his contract and his performances and those sorts of things that he'll get not a huge fee, but a decent fee. Um, Ampadu is an interesting one where I think I would, I would not be surprised at all if he stuck around and I would not be surprised at all if he took a loan move to maybe a step down. I think I thought his loan move as much as there was kind of 
some mixed reactions. I think he learned a lot of things, but at the same time, I think based on the things that he's best at, that was maybe not the right loan move for him, even though, okay, yes, center back in a back three, which is good for him. He gets some reps in midfield. Okay. But I think for him to stick at Chelsea, he has to go somewhere where they're going to have a lot of the ball. And so I don't know what, what that move looks like for him. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he stuck around either, just given the the extra flexibility he adds in squad construction, for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I think a step down for Ethan would certainly not be sort of optimal in terms of <laughs> given where he spent the last two seasons on loan, you know, at Leipzig and then at Sheffield United. I don't think Chelsea, the club, him, his camp would have expected him to to still be playing at that level following those two seasons of supposed development but it is probably the best course of action now um firstly as you say to to give him minutes in a time in a team that that keeps the ball and, and uses the ball well um but secondly just so he can be in a team and stand out really i mean we saw with someone like oliver skip last season he could have easily gone to a team like sheffield united a, a team you know at the towards the bottom of the Premier League and I highly doubt he would have stood out as much as he did at Norwich just purely because there's more of the ball there's um, less heavy scrutiny on all of the players as a collective I think for Ampadu to go somewhere and everybody to say wow Ampadu was really good that game and that to be a continued theme throughout the season as it was for the likes of Conor Gallagher, Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham in the championship. I think that's probably going to be a, a real positive for him going forward in his career. Um, but yeah, on the other hand, there is definitely scope for him to stick around in the first team squad. I think we're going to leave it there on players. Um, but there's lots more to talk about, um, mainly in the sort of, well, on the topic of shape and tactics and tactical approach um there are loads of things that Tuchel could try out this preseason obviously some things we're going to say are more realistic and less realistic than others um but is there anything in particular that you'd like to see him try out yeah I, I think kind of for me the the biggest thing that I know you and I have talked about kind of Will we stick back three? Will we shift to back four? I think the biggest thing for me is I'd like to see something different, kind of whatever different is. And not not because I'm unhappy with the three. I think I'm maybe one of the smaller groups of people who was really, really happy with the three and thinks the three should stick around. Um, but I think one of the difficult things that we had last year was we just had no plan B shape wise. So if, if we conceded first and we're still in the three, we were finished. It was okay. We're just going to vacate midfield. We're going to try and turn this into a track meet that's going end to end and hope that our better players are better than your players. And I think we saw that with the Brighton game at home where it was okay. It's one, one, this is not going well. Midfielders off center backs off open it right up and it's Jorginho running wind sprints from center circle to center circle while the ball flies over his head. And I just don't think that's, especially over the course of a season, I don't think that's smart or realistic 
to see again. So to me, the biggest thing I'm looking for is just the development of a plan B, whether that's a 4-4-2, 4-3-3, whatever, whatever he wants to do, we, we can talk about kind of things that I think might be interesting. But for me, that that's the biggest thing I'm looking for. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think going slightly deeper in that, um, for me, what I'd love to see is a 4-4-2 or something along those lines, as I mentioned slightly earlier, could be a 4-4-2, could be a 4-2-3-1, could be a 4-2-4. It doesn't really matter. They're all sort of the same thing. You know, a back four, a double pivot, two wide players, and then some sort of front two where one is, you know, slightly more advanced than the other. For me, that is the shape that suits our current squad the best because aside from the slight elephant in the room that basically all our centre-backs bar Thiago Silva have only really performed uh, to the best of their capabilities in, in a back three. Um, that is the only sort of major concern. Uh, aside from that, you know, you've got Timo Werner and Kai Havertz who are both probably best suited to playing in a front two. Um, you've got Hakim Ziyech who really needs to be receiving the ball high and wide as a kind of proper winger um, to do to do his best things. You've got Angola Kante, who performs uh, best in a double pivot. You know, you've got, well, playing with actual wingers means, you know, real minutes for Callum Hudson-Odoi, which is something that will be huge for this club going forward. Um, so I think, and the only player who doesn't really fit in is actually Mason Mount, but, you, you know, you can play him in the double pivot against teams where we're going to dominate possession. You can play him wide um, in certain games, depending on the opposition. You can play him as, you know, as a kind of 10 off the striker or even as part of a front two at times off the ball. There are so many different op options that I think this would really suit us well. Um, and yeah, I, I'm not sure whether we would need it as a plan A, as you say, maybe just as a plan B, because as you say, that, you know, the three was heavily successful and with further time on the training ground with it, I'm sure it can be even better. But I think that would be the best option if we are to have some sort of plan B that doesn't involve three defenders. Yeah, I think I'd agree. I, I, it's funny, I think if we kind of hark back to the Havertz pod, I don't know, almost a year ago now, um, mm. we kind of talked again about how Havertz fits into, at that point was pretty clear, going to be a 4-3-3 most of the time. Maybe we're shifting 4-2-3-1. And I think both of us said like, hey, Havertz is just a nine. So mm. you can't, it, it's a little bit different. And so I think if you look at the squad now, yeah, I think based on the players we have, it makes a bunch of sense to go four four two or four triple two, however you want to call it. And I think okay, there's maybe some apprehension of okay, you need the extra player in midfield or you want the extra numbers wide. But I think if you look at kind of the tendencies and the the things the players in that shape want to do, it becomes very fluid. So if we're talking about a 4-4-2, if Havertz is one of the nines, he's going to drop out of that space to link things. And now, okay, it's basically like you have a third midfielder a lot of the time. And if one of your nines is Timo Werner, 
he's going to drift into wide areas because that's what he wants to do. And so, okay, now you have the extra number one. The same thing if you have Ziek and Mount or or Cal or Pulisic as your wide players, they're going to start wide to come inside. And so you can end up with with all these really creative movements and interactions and rotations where you're still getting the numerical superiority in central areas that you want, but you can still create overloads out wide and you don't forego a box presence at any point in time. I think the other thing that's interesting about going 442, if if we're thinking about kind of peripheral squad members, is that from a center back perspective, it gives you more opportunities for Zuma, who is presumably mm. going to stick around, who I think doesn't really fit anywhere in the back three. But in a back four, he's almost a guaranteed starter, which is kind of a weird thing. Um, it gives you different looks at fullback in terms of Reese and Asby and Ben versus kind of Alonzo or Emerson or whatever. Um, but then even up front as well. Tammy, I think. I think Tammy is a great nine on his own, but I think he's even better in a pair. And I think, it, again, very, very, very small sample size. But when him and Kai played together as nines, yes. the very few times you saw that, it was ridiculous. So I think there's some very interesting things we can do in a 4-4-2 where Okay, yes, it's a four for two. It's you've got two banks of four, two center midfielders, two wingers, two strikers. But based on the players, because we have a lot of weird positional tweener players who kind of do different who wear different hats from the same position, you can alter your game plan by player selection rather than shape changing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way of putting it. And also the other thing I'd say about not even 442 but just playing a back four again is that that combination of Reese James and Hakim Ziyech on the right hand side has the potential to be one of the deadliest the deadliest flanks in world football really I mean we talked about it when when Ziyech signed and we saw it briefly under Lampard um, but you know injuries and, and runs of bad form etc meant that we didn't really see that um, well we didn't see it at all bar a few games um, and I think you know it's a simple thing, but Ziyech cutting in on his left foot and, and Reese overlapping can be so deadly. Um, and I think it would really, well, it wouldn't be a shame. I think it would be missing a trick to to not at least give it a try, particularly in preseason. For sure. And I think in in preseason particularly, some of those players who who were kind of on the outside are going to get a lot more looks at key roles. Like Cal is going to get more reps as a primary creator in whether that's a front three or a front four, kind of. Um, I think he's going to get more looks there. Um, so yes, I think there's there's a lot of a lot of big opportunities to show that they can be part of a a really functional attack. Yeah. And I think it's also worth talking a bit about the three because I I think it's highly unlikely that the three will disappear altogether if it, you know, it could foreseeably become the plan B and we move to a, a plan, a back four as our sort of primary 
go-to shape. Um, but yeah, the, the three won't disappear because it was so successful, obviously. Um, but I would assume that there would be some changes. You know, I highly doubt if we do stick with the three, it will be, you know, the exact same shape, the exact same personnel going into the next season. So where do you think the, the changes in that will be? It's hard to say because I think some of it depends on personnel. I think there's, I don't want to turn this into transfer news central mm. ITK <laughs> zone, but like obviously people are talking about rice. If rice comes in, that very much changes who you can play with him because you don't really need someone to hold his hand. And if Mace is going to play in midfield more, then it changes things you can do with the front three. Um, if we just put that aside, I think with the current crop of players, I think there's, to me, the the big thing is going to be how can we establish our possession game in the final third a little bit better that isn't fired into Kai and hope it sticks or fired into Mace and hope it sticks. Because I think a lot of, a lot of the problems that we saw under Tuka last year in terms of kind of, yes, we did a really good job of generating high-quality shots, but a lot of those high-quality shots were generated in transition. And when we played teams who didn't really give us much in transition, you end up playing 0.9 to 0.2 XG games, and sometimes you win 2-0, and sometimes you draw 0-0. And I think a lot of Tuchel's work in preseason is going to be figuring out progression stuff and figuring out circulation stuff to make the team a lot more incisive in the final third and i think just based on the reality of his hire is the guy got off the plane and coached a game so there's not coaching possession structures is really hard it takes a lot of time it takes preseason it takes months whereas coaching defensive stuff is it's not easier but it's quicker and so i think it made sense the way things went last year and that to me seems the logical progression for the squad is to to build a lot of the possession structures out that now aren't relying on individual people picking locks and more team-focused movement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just one question. How much of that do you think relies on personnel? Because in a really reductive sense, part of the reason why we were, you know, we struggled to some extent in the final third under Tuchel last season I think it's fair to say was just because there were, you know, three attackers on the pitch um, and the wing backs were not really getting forward or wide that much. Do you think that that needs to change or is it more just kind of adapting the things we do? Well, I think it's, I think it can be both. I think the, the part of what we saw in the wing backs being a little bit more conservative at least when when Reese and Chile played compared to Cal or, or even as actually it was weird that as would play as wing back and he would be more attacking than mm. some of the wing backs you would consider to be more attacking. Um, I think part of that is just look, we we are very solid defensively and this is okay. And towards the end of the season, it's particularly the last kind of ten games or so, it's lots of top four teams and Champions League knockout ties, which are going to be inherently more conservative. Um, but I think 
it, it can be both. I think the nice thing about having a little bit more advanced possession structures and having things be a little bit more organized in possession and less focused on the individual is that now I Tuchel's not a huge circuits guy. He's not Conti in that respect. But you can set things up now where, okay, we're going to establish possession in the left half space with Jorginho, Mace, Chile, and we're going to have Kovacic or whoever drop deeper to let Reese get forward and establish himself really, really high and wide without giving up security. And those kind of movements and those rotations and those patterns are going to let us get more numbers forward without kind of sacrificing a counter press and sacrificing transition defending at all. I think the difficult thing at the same time that might be kind of ugly for fans is that last season was pandemic ball with everybody being tired, pressing numbers way, way down euros at the end of the year. I'm not sure that next year is going to be any different. Um, So I think it might be another year of just slow which is okay. If we're successful that way, great. Um, but that that might just be the reality of the year. Yeah, I think people say pandemic ball, but I don't, I don't know when pandemic ball is going to end because, as you say, we've got the Euros going on now and then, you know, it's not that long until the World Cup halfway through, uh, well, what will be next season. So I wonder whether this might become a bit more of a reality you know, the sort of kind of general tactical shift towards higher prevalence of counter-pressing and, and just high-pressing teams. I wonder whether that, there might be a more of a shift going forward away from that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think actually one of the interesting things that we might see some smarter teams do, and, and we've seen it a few times in the Euros, particularly with Spain, is if five subs is going to stick around, it gives you a lot more options to enact that sort of game plan. There's some interesting college coaches in the U S which is kind of a very different game comparatively. Um, But um, at LGBTQFC, Kim McCauley who works for angel city will regularly talk about the line change where a coach will sub out every single one of their attackers at the same time, kind of 60 minutes in or 30 minutes in and will just, bring on the legs and they'll just keep the super high tempo pressing going. And so I wonder if, if five subs is sticking around, if we'll see more coaches be a little bit more aggressive with, uh, with making that happen. Obviously the Premier League were, were kind of not down for that last year, but I wouldn't be shocked if it came back either. Yeah. Well, now that Chris Wilde has relegated or he's not even in the job anymore, I wonder <laughs> Jürgen Klopp won't be able to complain about about him not being up for five subs anymore. So, yeah, as you say, that might be more more of a possibility going into next season. And just finally, from a, I guess, more of a holistic point of view, what are your hopes for the whole preseason? What do you think, in an ideal world, Chelsea, Thomas Tuchel would get out of it? Yeah, I think I think the the development of a plan B or or another idea is super, super important. I think to me, preseason is, is one of the few opportunities where you get really, really undivided training time. You're, you're away. Like the players aren't 
going home, you're going to be away for most of it. And it's really, you can just work and build things. Um, so to me, that's kind of number one. And number two, I think not having a debut in the first team last year was a real shame because it's not, it's not like it was a weak academy class. It's not like it was whatever. And I understand the pandemic with the bubbles and training and it's deep champions league runs and whatever that we don't, we didn't get and manager change in the middle of the year. Okay. I understand all those things, but I think we have a very talented academy class. We have really talented players who are probably going to stay in the 23s this year. Um, like someone like Lewis Bate. I don't know if he's going to go on loan, but he's really talented. Um, and to me, I think some of those players getting reps in preseason that the plan is for them to stay anyways, them getting reps in preseason, training with the first team, getting time in preseason matches, showing, okay, I, I fit with other first team players is so important for whatever happens for the year. Um, and so for me, that's, it's always really fun to watch the preseason games. I have very fond memories of waking up at like 3 a.m. Eastern time to watch Chelsea play like the Thai All-Stars just to see whatever <laughs> whatever fringe player. And I think those moments are really fun, but I also think they're really important for development and really important for club culture and squad building. And I'm I'm excited personally to see hopefully somebody stick out of that completely agreed and I think even just going back so far as well last preseason because there wasn't really one um in in Lampard's second season due to corona and everything so the preseason of Lampard's first season when he came in um I think there was so much fun to be had in that I mean a lot of that was just down to Lampard being there but you know he played he played I remember in the space of about a week, he played like a 4-4-2 diamond, a 4-3-3, and I think a 3-4-3. He played all these different things. There were all these different players getting minutes. Um, and it was just such a good time. And I'm really hoping that, that something like that can be replicated um, this preseason. But yeah, with that being said, um, I've really enjoyed this pod. Thank you so much, Kieran, for coming on. It's been great. My pleasure. Always, always happy to come on. Awesome. And yeah with that i think we're going to wrap it up um as i said at the top do make sure to check us out particularly on social media twitter and instagram at the chelsea sport on both of those um and our website thechelseasport.com for some cracking articles thank you very much for listening we appreciate it and we will see you next time <laughs>